Ta-da. <laughs> okay, now, oh, then I'm really loud. Maybe I don't have to be that loud. Um, so yeah, Ecclesiastes is, is a really kind of interesting book. Um, and in chapter four, when you get up to this point, it really, it really, when you, when you start, we start getting into the scriptures, it's gonna really emphasize the need for Christ. And as you can see, my, my I'll say thesis, the, what, the, the, what I want you to keep in mind as we go through everything is, without God, it will never be right. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through because it's gonna seem very dread and drab and down and depressing, but it doesn't have to be. So I want you to keep in that mind. And it's raining again. <laughs> if it could only get more drab than that. So the, let's see, let's say this, so this is the overview. And uh, like I said, this chapter is just a step a little darker than the rest. And um, so I'm go, there, don't worry, there are three verses that seem to be quite upbeat and positive. So look forward to those three. And so what we're really gonna be looking at is what life is like without God. So when we look at these passages, this is without God. And it's, it, it, the world seems to always be on this hunt to fulfill the needs, or there's this hole that they wanna kind of figure out. And the world says the philosophy is you need more. You can't get enough. Whereas, whether it's collecting things, whether it's wealth, there's always that type of mentality, and of course, we wanna say that God says to be content with less. So that's just the overview. So the kind of the situation that we're here is, it seems to me, and uh, that um, Solomon here, he, I, I'm not sure if he went away or if he came back, but he says he returned, I returned, he says. So we're gonna see that in a moment. So I'm assuming he must have went off somewhere, perhaps. And um, he, he, when he comes back, he's, he, I think when he went, he was searching for the meaning of life or he was searching for something. And so when he came back, he's making a lot of observations. So that's kind of the setting. And this is a bit of a side note. When I say the world way are lies, this is a bit of a side note from that. And that is when we were, just as you know, a moment ago, we were talking about the ways of the world. So I thought I should just throw that in, that the primary, or a lot of the, when it comes to the world's ways, they're lies. As in, they are sure they have that solution of how to be happy, how to be fulfilled. They're pretty sure they have that. But it, I can tell you, their way is empty. So let's read verse one. Let's dig in here. So I returned and I considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. As you see, I, I, oops. So here I had my verse one, I, when I'm gonna put a little title, I said, no comfort in sight. Pretty bleak. So life seems hopeless, especially when you don't have God. There is no hope. 
But, um, so let's see here. So return from his search for satisfaction. So he was coming back to uh, see satisfaction, but what did he see? Because, and I say here Solomon has seen it all, but I mean not really that he's seen it all, but that he has, he has seen a lot, right? And what he, his find, and what he finds here is situations that we find really today. So, like, when, like, so what he finds here is, he's, obviously, when it says the oppressors, he's referring to the rich, and when he's referring to the oppressed, he's referring to the poor. And there's no difference between then and now. I mean, t- today, we, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. I mean, they get, as I said here, they got the short end of the stick, right? And um, they, as I said here, the, I mean, ultimately, the, uh, the rich, you know, they're in that pursuit of happiness through power. I mean, they're always trying to collect things, uh, drugs, sex, money, it doesn't matter. They just, the rich are always trying to do what they want. And uh, if they have to do it on the backs of the poor, they, they do. And that's, what, and that's kind of the things that was happening back then. And, uh, and again, be, in, in this case, we're not talking about Christians. So they don't have that hope. They don't have that comfort. And kind of at the bottom here, it's, it's, it's a bit of a side, uh, a little bit of a side note here. Um, what I'm kind of saying is there's, n- there's no content here. I mean, it always seems that, as I said here, it's greener on the other side. And one of the kind of the, there doesn't seem to be any happiness. And so, I mean, the single people, they want to get married. And then when they get married, they say, oh, I don't, they don't like that, so they, they become single again. And so I just, I'm just trying to say that there's a lot of unhappiness and there's a lot of power uh, mongering, and, and that's what we see, in, like I said, in verse one. Is it, and he, it, he finds it very disturbing to Solomon. But the good news is this, is that Christ does fulfill that whole. I mean, they, they might be searching, and, 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 if they can, and if they can understand that Christ can fulfill that, then, then let's take a look here. John 14, 18, it says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In John 14, 26, it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And John 14, 27, it says, uh, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so, basically, when you have this situation here where you have the poor and there just seems to be no hope, but I just want to say there is hope. And that is that Christ can fulfill that whole, that, that searching that seems to always be happening. Now, when you do have a situation like this where you do have the, uh, where you have poor and uh, of course Christians, we want to help, we want to be a part of that. But I just want to kind of put this a little out there, just Christians beware. I mean, there's a bit, can be a little bit of a trap here. And that is, um, it's important that when we, are going to 
um, feed them and clothe them is that we're not trying to, that that's not our priority. I mean, when it comes to missions and ministries, it's, it's, it's the first highest priority is to, is to give the gospel. It's to, that's the first and foremost. We, we need to tell them how to be saved. It's not just about fixing their problems. I mean, it's nice. We certainly, like I said, I'm not saying, I'm not against feeding people. I'm not against clothing them. I'm not against fixing things. And, but I don't want that to be, um, like there's a lot of hospitals, there's a lot of things out there that, that will put groups together and they'll go and they'll do very good works and very nice things, but that's not going to help the person for eternity. That's only gonna help them in, maybe in that very moment. And it also, um, and I have that little saying down here, you I mean, it does, I mean, it's so true. I mean, if you feed someone a fish, they're good for a day. Teach them how to fish and they're good for a life. And so that's something else to keep in mind. But ultimately, let's teach them about Christ. And here, Matthew 20, 16, 26, it's a great one. It says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's a bit after that, but this is the, what I want to really push out. And that is, um, yeah, I mean, it's not just about fixing people's problems. It's, not, it's, it's about help preparing them for eternity. So in verse two, he says, wherefore I praised the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. This is pretty extreme stuff, if you think about it. He's basically saying, what I'm seeing here is just so Devastating, it's so bad, it's so, just a horrible thing that you're better off dead. In other words, you'd be, death would be a better situation than this, and, and mind you, I mean, I'm sure he's using poetic license here, okay? I don't, <laughs> I don't, um, I don't think he's being like, you know, literal. Um, but, you know, rather be dead. Um, And of course, when you don't have a comforter, though, I can see that. Now, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I kind of, myself, um, maybe find it hard to really put myself in that shoe exactly, because I've even been saved for so many years that maybe I don't quite remember. Um, but, because I don't really remember what it's like to not be able to turn someone, even friends, you know I mean? Like, we all have that situation where you want to be able to look to someone, when you have a problem, when you're down, when you're being dragged, when things just seem like there's no light at the end, it's just, you, you want to be able to turn to someone, right? Um, and and these, these, this, in this situation, there is no one. There's no, there's no and, and like I said, as a Christian, we would, we, we would have the Holy Spirit to, have, to kind of, but they don't even, have, they don't have that. So this is, this is a very, very bad. Being with a comforter is often worse than death itself is what I have here. And of course, he doesn't stop there. In verse three, he gets a little bit more descriptive and he says, yea, better is he that than both they, which hath not yet been. 
who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun? In other words, like, and I, I say, I wish I was never born. You can take out the word I, it doesn't matter. I mean, wish, wish he was, the person's wishing they were never born. Basically, or basically he's saying that it, it would be better off if you never were born because you would not have seen this grievous thing happen, right? So it's one thing to uh, see it and then, and then wish you were, and then not be alive anymore, but he's saying it's even better if you were, if you just never even seen it because that's how bad it was. And of course, like I said, poetic license here, I'm sure, and I mean, similar to Job 3. I'm just kind of, if you want to equate kind of like how, like the type of wording and descriptive, that the suffering and wrongness and how they're taken advantage of is so extreme, it's best never to have been born, that is, no knowledge of such um, atrocities. So and this is verse four. Again, I considered all travail and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So this was interesting because I'm thinking it's not wrong to have wealth. I don't want to put that out there. It's like I'm not trying to say if you earn any money, you're you're wrong, sinful. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's okay to work hard for uh, whatever and to, to have that wealth. Um, but it's interesting because even when you do that, even when you're the one who's working and you're, so you're earning and the Lord blesses you, um, it, you could find yourself in a situation perhaps where your neighbors are a bit jealous where they're, they're looking in. Oh. Uh-oh. Verse five. Oh. Okay. Well, little, things got a little mixed up there. Um, but uh, let's just see here. I'll just read, let me read it first. No, I read that already. Um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, so it's possible that you'll find that you're, you'll find your neighbors in maybe a bit of a uh, jealous or an envy situation. And, and here, here, the one interesting thing is envy really is a, such a root to sin. And of course, you mean lies are part of that. But I mean, there, there are a lot of, a lot of different types of sins that can come out of envy, and not, I won't get into it now, but um, vanity and vexation, by the way, those terms are like pride and annoyed. So they're like your neighbors are maybe quite annoyed, if you wanna say, that you, maybe you have that stuff. And here, Cain and Abel is, is I think, is a, is a prime example if we're looking for scripture where you can see that kind of a story maybe play out a bit. Um, Cain and Abel would be a very interesting, it would be a good one to look at because um, Cain's obviously, Abel was doing things right. He was, he was honoring God and yet Cain looked into that and then decided that was it. That he was not, ha he was not happy with, with what he was getting. 
So Abel did it right, and his heart was in the right place, and he worked. But Cain, on the other hand, you know. And like I said, in same idea as today's neighbors. And kind of a, let's see verse five here, it says, the fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Now that's kind of, an, that's kind of odd terminology there, you know. Um, but let's, the first thing is, like I said, what I have here is verse five is, take care of me, I'm lazy. That's kind of like the idea behind it. So, you know, I mean, you're rich. How dare you not make my life like yours? By the way, I, I don't work, so don't ask, you know? Like, that's, this is an attitude that I'm sure we've, we've ran into before. It's like, I mean, com people are complaining and they, don't, they want this and they want that, and, and yet they don't want to work. They don't want to work. So, a fool is lazy. And now as for us, it's, you know I mean, you would be doing a great disservice if you basically, to, to do the work for that person. And I don't think that's scriptural. And we're gonna see here in Leviticus 19, um, 10, this is kind of like, even then, when the rich had extra, they were told to leave it for the poor but they weren't to necessarily cut it down, put it on a plate, and feed it to them. They were there to leave it so it would allow that person to then go and at least contribute to their own eating. And it says, so this is, I'll just read that here, it says, and shall not glean on your vineyard, nor shall gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And of course, so anyway, when it comes to like the part where it said, where it said, eat your own flesh, I, th I don't know. I'm thinking perhaps that might be the idea, like you bite your nose off to spite your face. I, I don't know if that's the right analogy, but that's kind of where my mind was going when I heard that. You'll, you, somebody can, I, I'd be interested to hear what other people might have to say about when it comes to that descript description. But of course, like I said, laziness, at, at the end of the day, laziness will absolutely destroy oneself, and we can see that in Proverbs. There's, it says over and over about laziness and, and how destructive that really is. Better is a handful with, with quietness than both hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. And we need to be content. And I find this cool little thing about water and how you know basically you can put water in any type of jug or any type of container or whatever, and it just fills it. It just takes that shape. It's quite content. I thought that was kind of cool. It's better to just have your needs met, be content, rather than have abundance with worry, pain, and no rest. It's true. The more you have, the more you worry about it. I mean, am I going to lose it? Am I, what am I gonna do with it? How do I, I mean, there's just a lot that kind of goes with it. I mean, it's just not, you know, be rich and be merry. 
And also, you know, I think the, the, you know, part of that would be, like, how did you get it? I mean, it's great for those who earn it, but I mean, if we're, don't forget, if we're just at the beginning here, we were really talking about the oppressors, the rich who were not, I mean, they were, they were probably getting their wealth from the backs of the, of the poor. There is nothing wrong with having wealth, but trouble begins when one seek to get rich. I think that's a very different thing. When, 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 you, when you're blessed with wealth versus my life is dedicated to that. And of course, God does, he, 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 there's, it's, it's much more, I think, than uh, just a request to be content, but he tells us to be content. And, and I, there's great wisdom in that, because when you're content, I mean, just think, well, I mean, it says it in itself. I don't, you know, you don't have to describe it, but here I'm gonna just read a few verses here. And this is Luke 3:14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, be content with your wages. And then Philipp, uh, Philippians 4:11, not that I speak of respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, or whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And in Hebrews is probably the most strongest one here, I would say, the other, the other two weren't as strongly worded, but in Hebrews 13, five, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For ye hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Okay, I have to admit, the, 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 windmill, the windmills there have nothing to do with that. That was the default. <laughs> uh, just in case you were wondering. Although those do look very content, those, those windmills. <laughs> Speaking to Christians. So this is in verse, verse six. So First Timothy 6, 5, I'll just read a few more of these scriptures. Um, perverse, dis, dis, I can't even talk anymore. Perverse disputings of men of correct mind, corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing all into the world. Oh, I love this is I like this one. For we brought nothing into this world, and we certain, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. First uh, Timothy 6, 8, and having food and remnant, let us be therewith content. Oh yes, this is good stuff coming up here. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet there is no end of all, all his labor. There's no end to all of his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good this is also vanity, yea, it is sore travail. 
And when I read that, well, I better not say my hero. No, no, no. But, but certainly, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking if we think of pretty well any type of story, you know what I mean? There's, there's always the heroes and villains. And I mean, usually sometimes you see the one turn good, but it doesn't matter. But this is the one that really popped out to me. And that is Scrooge. And Scrooge, uh, there's different kinds of Scrooge. There's, there's Scrooge, there's Scrooge McDuck and even the Grinch. These are all characters who I would say embody what we're seeing here, right? And that is you have this person who is alone. They have nobody. And they are probably in that very situation because all they did their whole life was work and to no end except to collect more wealth. And no doubt if there's anybody like Scrooge, they did it by running over a lot of people to get it, or being cheap. It doesn't matter, but the idea is here is that the person is alone. They spent their whole life working for nothing, except, I mean, or nothing but wealth, wealth for the sake of having wealth, and then found themselves with no one. So on a positive note, so we have verses 9 to 12. Four whole verses on a positive note. So let's see what we have here. Oh. Blank. Ah, yes. Okay, very good. There, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can, they, how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and three accord, or threefold, cord is not quickly broken. So this is really a one, this is probably, the, like I said, this is the most positive part of this area, right? And the idea here is that um, friendship can bring relief from some of these problems. And I, like I said, as I kind of even alluded before, you I mean, when, you, when you're into these some situations, you look to your friends for, to talk to, for support. And it does help when you have friendship, you mean, to not have that loneliness set in. And here, though, it does have, in, th in these three verses, it does kind of set out, um, in the first one, it says, the f we see assistance. You know, if one fell, you can be, they can lift you up. They can be assistance to you. And the, the next one we saw, they was, you can look to that, friendship for comfort. I mean, they use the idea of if you're cold, you can kind of huddle and you, can, and you can get warmth from that. But I mean, it just, you know, I mean, even if you were just sad and they put their arm around you, it doesn't, we're, I mean, we're talking about uh, a friend can be a comfort. And of course, if someone's ganging up on you, somebody shows up and there's a couple of you, you well, <laughs> like, like they're gonna get, there's, you know, there's safety in numbers, I guess is one way to put it.
Now, here's this is interesting. I, this is just a side note, so don't, I'm not gonna get too hung up on this, but verse 12, <laughs> where it says, uh, uh, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, uh, and a three cord is not quickly broken. This is actually often used by cults. This is one of the things I kind of found out. And um, I guess this is the way that they decide that, uh, you know, Maybe they justify having more than one wife or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not here nor there. But uh, I just thought that this is one of the inter- that particular verse is used by different uh, people for to out of context. Of course, this is not what it means. It is not speaking of marriage. It's talking about just friendship, just casual. And um, but speaking of marriage, now that we brought it up, <laughs> um, as we see here, I just says. Um, you know, never date a non-Christian. I'm just gonna throw that out there. If if you start that, just you're going down a road that's not good because, I mean, it won't work out. And it just says here, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion uh, hath light with darkness. And I'm gonna say this applies to so many parts of our lives. It's not just marriage. It can be in business. It can be with, it's with our friends. It's, I mean, you may not be wanting to marry the, play, the person, but I, still, if you're, they're an unbeliever, you, you really should not get too close. I mean, I'm not saying don't have Christian, like friends who are not Christians. I think it's important to have a kind of relationship so you can preach, so you can actually present them the gospel. But there's a difference between having them as your, maybe your best friend. Right, that's so, but more importantly, like I said, don't marry a non-Christian, don't date a non-Christian. Verses 13 through 16. So this is going to take us to the end. I'm running right on schedule, can you believe it? I think it's the first time I've ever done this. Yay. So Solomon's speaking from experience here. Okay, and I actually have kind of learned a few things about Solomon I didn't realize, so this is gonna be, I find this kind of interesting. Okay. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And you can say admonished, you put the words in maybe instructed or um, um, given direction. You don't want, you don't want, it's basically, I'm king, my word is final, I don't want to hear nothing about it, done, and, and that's it. You know, that's, that's the uh, attitude. It's, and you have to remember, perhaps we're, we're at the point where you have an old senile, doesn't even really know what's kind of going on, and that's the kind of the scenario, and, and so he's an old king, I'm not saying this is necessarily Solomon, I mean, but maybe, perhaps, yeah, maybe it is, right? I'm just, gonna, I'm just saying that uh, you have this, uh, old foolish king who just won't listen to reason anymore. And it would be better to be a poor wise child uh, than an old foolish king. For out of prison he came, he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born is in kingdom becometh poor. Now this was very confusing. I have to admit, I had to look this up. I had to kind of do a little bit of research and try to figure things out through uh, commentary and stuff. I, I had no clue. But it's interesting. So he says, I had today's, today's hero is tomorrow's beggar. 
And in this case, when it, so it's referring to Joseph, it, it, it would appear it's referring to Joseph. And of course, when he was, when he was young, he, he got out of prison, and then eventually he replaced a king, um, or he was second in command. But I mean, what his word would go. Um, but the idea is, there, you might be a king today, but you will eventually get old, you will eventually be replaced. As they even here, it says even Joseph would be replaced. So, popularity passes away, you know? Let's read on here. Um, where did I leave off? Uh-huh. I considered all the living which walk under the sun and the second child that shall stand up in his stead. Again, I thought this was a bit confusing too. You mean, but it ends up, or it turns out that uh, um, Solomon actually was the second child of David. He had a, I guess he had a child and um, I guess he died probably at a very young age. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so that's why, that's why here has here, and he, and he was the second, where was it? Um, with the with the second child that shall be that shall stand up in his stead. So I mean, he, so Solomon was the second child. So that worked out. And interestingly enough, I mean, yeah. So and Absalom, he he tried to take the throne by force, and David actually left rather than fight his son, which was uh, which was interesting. But the idea is, we're still we're talking about your you get older and you get replaced. And, and again, and just to bring it to a modern time, like just to bring it up to, to uh, an idea of today, so I thought, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about ratings. I mean, so I mean, it doesn't matter what you are, prime minister, prime minister, whatever, right? So we're, if we're talking about a prime minister, people have a high opinion when he first gets in, and then the economy tanks, and, our, and, and we don't like him anymore. Uh, or, or if maybe he, I mean, he does something really good and we like him again. So people, their, their interest kind of comes on and it goes off. It just goes basically with what they see in here. Listen to this, it says in verse 16, it says, there is, to, there is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that came after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. And like I said, it's the, the idea of just like people in the past, they get into office, or they, were, or they were kings, and they're maybe popular for a time, and then they're not popular. So this is what this is all about. Okay, so again, I just as, a, as an overthink, I just want to kind of remind everyone that without God, it will never be right. And so that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing, like, right from the verse kind of one to the end, we're finding that it to be the, you know, whether it be uh, the poor without the comfort, whether it be the neighbors and the having the envy and jealousy, whether it be um, the the foolish king or the or the French, all that stuff. At the end of the day, the the, the over the theme I'd want to kind of press would be the fact that without God, it will never be right. And that's all, that's all we have. 
I guess I'll uh, close in prayer. Gracious God and Father, it's just a privilege and honor to be able to present your word, and Lord, I pray that it was your word and it was your thoughts and that we would not be going outside of your word, but that we would be honoring you for you are the truth. I pray that as we depart from here, we'd all have safety and that we would be able to bring honor to you. I pray this in your son's most holy name, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.